March 13th, every student was on their phones. We were stalking other schools' websites and social media. One by one, every school around ours was announcing their closure for two weeks. 10 minutes before dismissal, our principal announced on the last speaker that to take all your stuff home just in case. But we'll be back on Monday. If we come back, consider a good arm workout. The very next day, I woke up to so many texts, a phone call, a website posting school will be closed for two weeks. Not for a snowstorm, extremely hot weather, a hurricane or a power outage, but for a flu? Or was it a flu? What really was it? And what? And how long would we be home? For two weeks or two months or even longer? On March 13th, our lives changed forever. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle's Voice. I'm your host, Rebecca Julius. This is our first podcast and roundtable discussion. Today, we will be talking about how much our lives have changed in three months, specifically because of the coronavirus pandemic or the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's get into it. Yay! So everyone introduce yourselves. I have two guests with me. Who's going first? <laughs> oh, Sarah. Okay. Erica, I'm going to be a senior this upcoming year, and while we're all a part of the Eagles Voice like podcast, we each have our own separate shows. My show is called The Writing Workshop, and it's all about creative writing. In my experience, running The Looking Glass, which is a website where we post Central Students' creative writings, I've seen that a lot of people are interested in creative writing beyond just the classroom setting. And so since I have a lot of experience, I've been writing essentially my whole life and I'm decently good at research to look at other people's experiences. I decided that that would be the best thing to make a podcast about and hopefully pass on some tips and tricks and general education as to how to make your creative writing better. Hey guys, I'm Gianna and my personal podcast is called G's Reads. And in that podcast, I'll be talking about books I have read in the past, present, or future. And I'll be giving out book recommendations. And it's basically a podcast for anyone who's looking to pick up a good book or who wants to know what books are becoming popular and what's being talked about in the bookish community. (laughs) (laughs) My podcast is honestly yet to be decided. I don't even have a name for it yet. But we will see in the future because I have already planned a few special podcasts Stay tuned for that. We've officially started the Eagle's Voice, a new chapter in this club life. Um, And I didn't say before, but I'm a senior and I'm also the editor of this podcast and the Eagle's Voice. Today we'll be talking about since March 13th, our lives have changed so much as students, as citizens, as people living in the United States, but primarily as students, because it is July 11th at the time of recording. And we'll be going back to school in just two months and it'll be completely different but let's talk about our past going going home on march 13th do you guys remember that day um i remember the day pretty well because that was the second night of the central regional play mary poppins so that's why that day is like so prominent in my head but i also remember being in my last period, which was health class, and that announcement coming on. And I personally thought that we were going to come back on Monday, but that never happened. I remember lunchtime on Friday, Friday the 13th, um, my color guard director came to the library, which is where I usually spent my lunches working in the coffee shop, and told me that she wanted to 
move our final performance that would get the goal was to get it recorded. She wanted to move it up to Friday because she was worried that we'd close on Monday. And I thought she was being overdramatic, but I was still like, yes, okay, that's a good idea. And even that night, we were still kind of like grumbling a little bit about it. We showed up and we still did it, but we were still kind of grumbling about it because we, like, we were like, she's being overdramatic. Like, you know, we're going to come back on Monday and this will all be, you know, like a bust. There was no reason to do this. But then Sunday, Saturday or Sunday comes, I can't remember. And surprise, we're not coming back on Monday. I think to all of us, the last day of our junior year of high school, and we didn't even realize it. Yeah, that was the last day of school for seniors, which is crazy for them. Last day of school for us. I vividly remember Friday the 13th. I remember first period saying we might have to take all of our stuff home and my teacher said you should take all your stuff home and I was like okay you know I'm gonna do it anyways but that's you know that's crazy English class third period um once again I was like getting hints to take all our stuff home and I was like okay and then last period comes I'm looking at every other school's websites a lot of schools had closed down the SAT had closed for the weekend when I was in my last period. And then we had that announcement saying, get all your stuff. We left school early, like 10 minutes early. And as much as I remember March 13th, I remember March 16th, AKA the first day learning online. And that was not a good start for me. And it was not a lot of, it was not a good start for a lot of students. What about you guys? I think those first weeks were just complete and utter chaos on both the, students end and the teachers end because this was all so sudden and nobody really had any idea what was going on and to me that chaos and I think to all of us that chaos was very worrying because we're in AP classes and to me I was like we have two months until the AP test we the classes need to like get on with it and I feel like talking about the AP test is a whole nother can of worms to open. Which we'll get into later. Exactly. But I just remember those first couple of weeks, those first couple of days being complete and utter chaos because nobody had any instruction. Nobody had any idea what was going on. Nobody expected this and nobody expected it would last this long. Yeah, that, what was it? Monday the 16th? I remember being like very stressed out that first week because all the teachers kind of just posted their work throughout the week and not just on Monday. And it was rough keeping up with everything. But after like those first two weeks, I finally got like my pacing settled. So that made it easier. But I remember that week being extremely stressful. Yeah, I remember staying up until one in the morning, just doing all of Monday's work. And that was the same thing every single day. And I just could not handle it. And I think teachers quickly realized that we just cannot learn the same at home. So we got rid of due dates. Um, time constraints for assignments was just, it was just a mellow, like nebulous area. We didn't really have an ass I, a due date. Like this is when you turn things in. I, I didn't even do some assignments. I did assignments late, weeks later, or I did them very early. Um, the way I was doing things was so weird, and I did not have a set schedule. But I know you guys had different schedules that you worked with to kind of keep yourselves on track during online learning. 
Yeah, my schedule in the beginning was I tried to stick to the school schedule as much as much as possible. Like I would be like, okay, it's an A day and it's 8 a.m., which means I need to be doing my math work right now. And so I would do my math work and then until 9.25 a.m. when I would go to my creative writing class, I wouldn't, I'd take a break and then my creative writing class and I do my creative writing work and move on like that. But as the weeks went on, I got a lot more relaxed. And I think that schedule became a lot more difficult to maintain because teachers had different posting schedules. I know my physics class was posting almost every day, whereas my uh, math class would be posting all of its stuff in the morning and other teachers would be trying to stick to the A-B day schedules. And by like late April, May-ish, I had completely given up on trying to keep some sort of schedule that was similar to school. And I just kind of tried to jot down a to-do list, but I feel like it was really hard to set up a plan for the week because some teachers were posting not necessarily sporadically, but were, weren't posting at the beginning of the week. So it all felt very uncertain. And I think a lot of people felt that way. I think when teachers started posting all their work on Monday for the whole week, that's when my, my personal scheduling got way easier, where I would be like, okay, I'm doing these assignments on Monday, these assignments on Tuesday, these assignments on Wednesdays. And there was weeks, like maybe two months before the technical last day of school where I wouldn't have any work to do Thursday or Friday because I'd get all my Monday work done by nine o'clock and just move on to my Tuesday work so I wouldn't have to think about it. But I also had those days where I was like, I don't feel like writing an English essay and I pushed it off till the day it was due. Yeah, I did the exact opposite. I usually did my work according to A day, B day, but I was pushing off a lot of assignments or doing the easier ones first and then doing the hard ones last and then I have so much homework over the weekend. And I was just, I was a whole mess. I did not function well on online learning, but that's just me. Other people flourish and took advantage of creating their own schedule, which the school allowed to, which might benefit some people or not benefit others. Yeah, I think something that really benefited the students with this whole virtual schooling is the teachers. They were so willing to be patient and like, if you just communicated with them, they'd be so like, they'd work with you. And that really helped a lot of kids because it pushed back due dates and they were able to send extra help. And they, they understood what was going on too. Like they were dealing, it, dealing with it on their end. So the understanding was really nice. Yeah, I think honestly, not definitely the teachers for this half of the school year deserve huge props for making such a quick quick adjustment and I think for next year the administration is going to deserve such huge props because this must be a nightmare to try to figure out scheduling and I think no matter what it's going to be a mess and I'm just worried as to what this will look like next year. Well next year is a huge responsibility on the administration because they have to figure out how are we going to get all these kids back to school because as far as we know well i mean we don't know for sure if our school is going back but we're assuming that they are they could go all online but i doubt that's the decision and just to say everything we're going to talk about is speculation nothing is official and for the plans for the school year 
some schools have already decided they're going back to school fully. Whatever fully means is up to that school, but I assume that means all students are coming back every day, all day, and it will be the same as last year. Other schools or most schools are doing split session slash or hybrid learning. So split sessions can be AM, PM, A day, B day. So you have A day and then you have B day the next day and then it switches or A weeks and B weeks. So ninth and 10th graders go back on A weeks and then 11th and 12th graders go back on B weeks or they're doing hybrid classes where some are in real life and others are online all at the same time. And that could be a problem in terms of which teachers can even come back to school in the first place because teachers are not expected to come back to school if they're immunocompromised or they're just not healthy enough to do so. So planning is a big thing for next year. And for our school, Central Regional, you have to take into account of Humanities, which is a Georgian court uh, program where we take Georgian court classes at Central or going to OCC, aka Ocean County College or Vokes, you go to vocational school, which has campuses across Ocean County. So it's a huge thing, but what do you guys want for the next year? Or what do you, what do you think is best for you as a student? In terms of I think personally, this administration is either gonna decide to do split sessions. Like I think we're not getting out of that either by last name or grade, but I also believe that they're gonna go half virtual, virtual or all virtual. Because that's really the only way to work out the classes, if you think about it, working with humanities and grade level and the types of classes. I personally hope that we stay kind of virtual because I didn't mind it at all. I liked being at home. I liked sitting at my own pace. But I know some kids aren't in the right circumstances to be able to do virtual schooling all the time, and I understand that. But I liked it better. I honestly don't think there's a good solution. And I think while split scheduling would probably the be the best from a learning perspective. Like I found learning online to be difficult because I had a hard time. I think this was more of a personal issue, but I had a harder time asking questions because I didn't want to bother te teachers with emailing them. I think that was more of a personal issue, but nevertheless, I, I would like split scheduling the most but that is a logistical nightmare. There's so many problems with that. And there's so many, like, if you want to do split sessions, are they going to be three hours each or four hours each? Because if they're three hours each, that doesn't fit with the New Jersey state's legal definition of a school day and wouldn't count as a school day. But if they're four hours each, for most teacher contracts, that's going to exceed the number of hours or the time period that they're supposed to teach set in their contract. And then how do you determine which group goes in when? And I think it's just going to be a huge nightmare and I'm kind of scared to see what will happen. I mean, thank God we don't have any, you know, decision making or we're not responsible for it because I don't know if I could do that. But in, on top of the logistics of figuring out everyone's schedules, apparently busing as in transporting students is the biggest issue next to affording everything with busing you have to figure out how to, you're going to bus all these kids how are you going to sanitize the buses how are you going to pay the bus drivers whose responsibility whose responsibility it is to to clean the buses and to figure out the different routes and whatnot and for central regional specifically 
our school district serves a huge area. We bus to Seaside Heights, Island Heights, Ocean Gate, some parts of Tom's River. Lacey kids come here, Manchester kids come here. Well, you cannot live in Berkeley Township and can, you can still come here, but figuring that out is gonna be so, so difficult. And that is the biggest logistical nightmare in terms of figuring out this upcoming school year. I think when it comes to busing and transportation, they're gonna try to see if at least half the population of Central can drive in. Cause I know with the elementary schools, cause of my brother, they sent out a survey asking if the kids can be driven to school. And I think that's something Central is gonna do also. Cause I think if they could get the buses to at least half capacity, that's gonna be very helpful especially if seniors and some juniors can start driving themselves. But then again, you have kids who can't afford cars or they need the bus to get to and from school. But yeah, transportation is probably going to be a big problem. I feel like Central might also stop doing like, I don't remember if it's called like complimentary busing. Courtesy or busing. Courtesy busing. Thank you. Legally, with they don't have to provide transportation for anyone within a one mile radius of the school. And for anybody, like, I did not understand the that until somebody told me that one mile from the school is about from Central to Quick Check, right, by, right on Route 9. And that will include so many kids. Like, that could eliminate some busing routes entirely because there are so many kids who live along Central Parkway or in those streets kind of, like, behind Central Parkway that would now need to walk or find their own transportation or something like that because the school might say, we can't bus you in anymore. And that would be, I think, a easy solution to kind of cut down on the volume, but I think it would also cause a lot of outrage. I know some schools are saying if you lived two miles away from the school, you're not being bused. You have to either walk or drive in. Which a lot of kids already do that, but for our students is going to be like, I have to walk to school. Do you know how long of a walk that is? And it'll be difficult. I know, I, I don't know, but I bet a lot of t students are going to drive to school now because, or their parents are going to drive them because they're not going to go on a bus. I'm not going on a dirty bus that's not properly sanitized. But some parents simply cannot do that. You know, they work at 6 a.m., 5 a.m. They cannot drive them to school. They rely on buses if it wasn't for a bus their kid would not be getting to school, period. So it's a difficult situation to accommodate for everyone. Yeah, I know my family was talking about it today and what's probably gonna happen is I'm gonna have to drive my sister to school in the mornings and I'm very lucky enough that I have a car and I can do that because if I didn't have a car and I didn't have my license, my sister would have no way to get to school except on the bus, which is potentially very dangerous. And my mom is going to have to leave early, as early as she can, to go pick her up. And we're lucky that our schedules barely accommodate that. I think there's going to be so many kids who can't get picked up. Another logistical problem is affording everything. I don't know the specifics about our school district and how it can afford teachers and substitutes because substitutes are going to be essential to reopening as a school and having in-person classes, but besides substitutes, affording maintenance, affording bus drivers, affording personal protection equipment, affording 
reopening in general. A lot of school districts are already strapped as it is. When it comes to younger, like elementary school, school districts, which in Central Regional is just the middle school and the high school, um, the younger districts are all the elementary schools. So I don't know about us, but other school districts in New Jersey or across the United States already have funding problems. But for our school district, who's to say we can afford masks for everyone every single day or shields or barriers or sanitizing everything constantly um, and affording substitutes and staff and paying everyone appropriately. That's going to be a huge problem. How are these already underfunded schools going to afford all of these new required services? I think Central is getting ready to put the money towards all that because my dad works the custodial service in the middle school and they're already taking temperatures uh, when they go into work and when they leave work. So they are getting ready to put the money towards um, sanitary protection, I believe. So at least we could look at that as a positive. But yeah, as Becca was saying, I don't, it's probably going to be a huge hit to the budget that we have to pay for all these new um, sanitized, sanitizing products. And who knows what clubs budgets are probably going to be cut due to that. Where is the, is the state going to increase funding to the schools for these new costs? Is the school going to have to bring funding from other activities and other places that they have it at? And how is, if the school does have to cut funding from other areas, how is that going to impact us as the students taking away clubs that are really important to us? How are clubs, are clubs still even going to be a thing if we're doing split sessions and stuff like that? Is it still going to even be an option to stay after school? I, I know sports are still going on, fall sports are still happening. Um, but like, if you just have after school clubs like writing club or yearbook, how are you going to deal with those once clubs start going? And speaking of clubs or recreation in general, Sports, fall sports is not a then reality, it is a now reality. On July 13th, fall sports are supposed to start practicing. Um, as far as I know, fall sports has been already postponed to start practices on July 20th, aka two Mondays from now, because of, I believe, not enough cleared participants. But we will start practicing, and the girls' tennis season starts earlier. I believe it starts on September 28th which is one month after it would start. Other sports start on October 1st. Girls tennis ends on October 23rd. Football ends on November 7th. And other sports end on November 13th. And we have to figure out social distancing when, as student athletes, and there are already got guidelines. We don't have to wear face masks if we are working out or doing physical activity, but we do if we're congregating or we're not actually like, you know, playing or practicing physically. And I know that girls tennis is a non-contact sport, especially if it's singles, but what about football and field hockey or volleyball? Because those are contact sports. You are touching people. How safe are um, sports like those? Would you play a sport? You guys are in marching band, but would you play like a sport besides tennis this year? I wouldn't play a sport. I wouldn't play a sport because I usually don't play a sport. But 
if we had to use face masks, that would deter me from even wanting to participate in another sport this year. Something that really concerns me with this whole face mask thing is band. So I'm the color guard captain, a section leader, and with band, the school doesn't consider it a sport, even though I personally do. So you don't need a physical to join, which means a lot of kids with asthma are in band. And if they have to wear a face mask, that's a whole nother breathing problem they have to face because it's already hard enough with asthma to play an instrument where you have to use your air. So, and band is supposed to start at the end of July, early August. So I don't know how that's going to work out. Another thing to consider with having, you know, people with asthma is if they get COVID, they're more at risk to develop serious complications because it's a breathing disease. So are people going to withdraw from marching band or other sports so that they minimize their risk? Like, it's, it's going to be very interesting <laughs> to see how these sports play out. I am going to play tennis. I plan on playing tennis. Um, I need physical activity in general. There is a season planned. Everything is supposed to happen. We are not competing to the extent that we were last year, I believe. I think that you only compete with neighboring schools at most, and that's it. And But what if we don't even have enough people to play? You know, say you have 10 people, or the bare minimum for tennis is 14 people. Other sports require, you know, a full team, say 10 to 15 or maybe 20 kids to even run. So sports might even get canceled, not because of COVID directly, but because not enough people have signed up or they're getting cleared by their doctors because they're at an advanced risk to even play. So we will see how sports works out um, in the immediate future. This is two weeks from now it's supposed to start. If it starts, hopefully it does, and hopefully it starts safely because um, we want this whole process to be a safe manner. Uh, another thing about the whole sports concept and kids being deterred from sports is the school is not offering physicals anymore you have to go to your actual doctor in order to get a physical. And that's going to be in a way of a lot of kids' paths to join a sport because it's going to be hard to make a doctor's appointment now because everybody's trying to do it. Another thing with doctors and getting physicals is if you don't have health insurance, how do you afford it? And you just can't play sports this year because, like Gianna said, the school isn't offering physicals. And if you don't have good health insurance, like I know I'm lucky that I have good health insurance and my copay is like $5. But if a regular doctor's visit costs like $500, there's no way that like my mom and my parents wouldn't drop $500 just so I could play a sport. I don't think most parents would. So that's just an immediate bar to kids who may want to play but simply can't because they can't get a physical this year. And I think that's seriously going to impact numbers, which really screws with sports like football or like marching band, where you need or you're supposed to have big numbers of people. Like I know for marching band, a good sized band is like a hundred plus people um, that you, so not only, I don't want to get too specific into marching band because that's not what this episode is about, but when you're supposed to have like 100 people, 200 people in order to create a good show, not have you socially distanced those people 
how do you deal with a, a big reduction in the number of people who are going to be joining your sport? How do you deal with a reduction in the number of football players who will be joining? How do you deal with these minimized numbers? And will the fact that the numbers are so minimized just like cancel out the sports? I know you guys were talking about canceling the sports too. And that's kind of what I'm worried about because I think a lot of us find satisfaction in and like a community in sports and i think i would honestly be devastated if marching band doesn't happen this year if winter guard doesn't happen this year one more thing about sports is this is going to take away a lot of kids scholarship opportunities like a lot of kids bank on playing a fall spring winter sport in order to get into college so by take by taking away sports or deterring kids you're taking away their chance to actually get into college if that's what they were banking on. And speaking of colleges, a lot of kids bank on AP tests to get into college. I'll use this as a segue. We are AP students. We took AP English and AP History. I was supposed to take AP Spanish, but I didn't. Kind of regret it because a majority of students got a five. I think it's 50% of students got a five on that test. But we're waiting on our AP scores. They're coming out this coming Wednesday, I believe. So what did you guys think of the AP test, them being online and the shift? Oh, I, th I, liked, I liked it way better than what I think taking regular AP tests would have been like. Personally, I think the tests were easier online, but I know a lot of kids didn't like it because there was um, computers were failing and they might have not had the silence that they needed in order to take it, but I personally liked it better. So for the AP test this year, most tests were just an essay. For AP history, it was an essay. I got an essay about um, the American Revolution. There's essays about slavery. Um, I don't remember what the other ones were about. For mine AP was about Manifest Destiny. That was mine too. Yeah. For AP English, I mine was a McCain speech for a convention, the speeches or the essays for the AP language, there are so many. I bet there was about 20 prompts. A lot of people got a lot of different things. Um, I thought it was easy. Obviously, we cannot compare our test taking experience to others because this is our first AP test. We have never taken a like proper AP test. But did you guys like the AP test? Did you like how they were formatted, how they were administered, the whole process? I think in the beginning, I was very worried about it because I know the the original format, 50% of your score is based on multiple choice and only about like 13% of your score is banked on one essay. And the way that they switched it made it to 100% of your score. And I was very worried that I would misinterpret the prompt or that I wouldn't be able to think of good supporting points within 45 minutes and that that would basically doom my entire essay. But I think even though that didn't really happen, I was also very lucky because my family was willing to like leave my house and I had good Wi-Fi and stuff like that, but I've heard horror stories from kids, not only who had difficulty submitting and had to completely retake their test, but from people who were typing on iPads or who had to do it in like their family room or in a room that they shared with siblings. And I think, although I personally didn't mind this format after I took the tests, 
it really had a negative impact on a lot of other kids and I really don't think it should be repeated in the future. Um, for a lot of kids, I don't, we didn't have any problems as in these specific people in this podcast, but some kids could not submit it. The submit button simply was not working and they would have to retake it in June. And then they developed a new system where you could email your essay in. And then if you couldn't submit it, you had a link and you had to open it immediately and then submit your essay that way. Um, it was difficult for a lot of kids. And for math, I did not take a STEM related AP, but you had to, you had like two questions, I believe. And I don't have any input on that, but I know it was very difficult to do two of the hardest types of questions for the STEM APs and then submit them in time if it does involve math or doesn't. And if you want to type it or handwrite it, it was just difficult in general. I know that like from reading stories on Reddit and stuff, if you try to type like your equations, a lot of times the formatting would glitch out, which I think we're very lucky that we didn't have to type equations because that would have been very difficult. My mentality differs from Sarah's when it came to pre-AP testing thinking. Like, yes, I was worried about um, technical glitches, but for my history exam, just, just to say, I had a lot of pressure taken off me because I was so nervous about the multiple choice and knowing that we were only doing the DBQ, which is the writing, took a huge weight off my shoulder because I didn't have to like analyze the book as much as I would if I had to take multiple choice. So that kind of eased my concern rather than raised it. So they did change the um, rubric completely or to say that the AP history DBQ rubric or the AP English language rhetorical analysis, analysis rubric became the entire rubric for the entire um, essay or the entire exam. And then I believe AP history went from a seven point scoring system to a 10 point scoring system. But the, they did change how it would be graded and the score distributions are, they're kind of the same as last year. It's like a one to two point difference. But compared to last year, those scores were not that different, the distributions. They're pretty similar. It's usually in a 1% range of going up or down. But for some of the other APs, the score di distributions changed as much as 10%, which is crazy. I think when it came to AP testing, and I only know from the history and English one, English was probably the least changed because it kept what it wanted to and got rid of two things, but we were already expecting a rhetorical analysis to begin with. So I think that saves some kids because personally, our class, we practice rhetorical analysis the most and that really helped. I also know looking at like some news sites and stuff that colleges aren't going to count these AP tests in the same weight. Like I've seen colleges saying that if you get a five on, for example, a physics um, AP test, in previous years, that might waive you from a physics class, but now it's going to waive you from a general class. So you can't like bypass, you know, the college level physics class. And I think to, I know to me, and I don't know about you guys, that's very frustrating because it wasn't like my fault that this happened. And it's just very frustrating that I still put in almost the same amount of work that other people put in in the previous years and through no fault of my own 
my score won't be treated as the same as other scores. But then again, the test is completely different and it only measures one aspect. And obviously a better measure of how eligible we are for college classes is measuring how we did throughout the entire course and not just one exam in general. And AP exams are already a pretty iffy spot in measuring students. And another iffy spot, another transition, is SAT tests. All of us were supposed to take SATs this year as juniors. I know some people have taken them as early as last year, but the March SAT got canceled, the May SAT got canceled, and I was gonna take the May one. I know Sarah was gonna take the March one. And then now I have signed up for the August SAT. Hopefully that will happen. But colleges, a lot of colleges, have waived the SAT requirement. I believe all of the Ivies, as in Ivy League schools, have waived the SAT requirement. Uh, most, if not all, like top schools, like maybe the top 20, have waived them. Um, a lot of state schools have. A lot of New Jersey schools have or already have had waived them. And people are, you know, questioning whether the SAT was even a valid way to measure a student in the first place. I'm personally happy that a lot of schools are waiving SAT scores because I know for me, I was thinking about applying to Stanford, Princeton, Montclair, Stockton. I don't know if any more beyond that, but I think I'm pretty sure all four of them did waive SATs, but it also brings me to the concern of how are they going to judge a student now by their volunteer services, which got ruined for a lot of kids this summer because where are you going to volunteer with all this going around? And you're going to look at the clubs you joined or your grades. So that's a lot of concern for other kids now too, because there's some kids who probably didn't do as much clubs thinking that they were just going to bank on SAT scores and grades or kids who banked on doing all their volunteer services this summer who now can't do that. I feel like this, I feel like COVID is obviously causing a lot of change and I am hoping that like it's changed for the good, like finally bringing up how valuable are SAT scores when measuring a person's intelligence or their abilities, like how valid are standardized tests, what should we wait when we're looking at people going into college, what determines whether or not like a person is a good student and stuff like that. And I feel like COVID finally bringing up those questions well, the questions have been around for a long time, but I feel like COVID is finally forcing some answers. So I'm personally, I feel like I've been doing just a lot of like wondering when I talk, but I'm personally wondering what's going to happen in the future. Okay. And on top of SAT scores for college plans, what is a college doing in general? Obviously, 2021 is so far out of the future. Seeing how tentative our future is just on a week-to-week -week basis when it comes to, you know, school levels, county, state, and then the whole country. For schools, a lot of schools have different plans. Some schools are going back in full. Rutgers, the New Jersey State School, is going mostly online. Uh, Michigan State is having half their classes online. Duke is offering housing in hotels in order to give students single dorms. FAMU, aka Florida A&M University, will have schedules. Some schools are doing like blocks, just like high schools are. Stanford is only allowing half of their students back. 
the UC system, aka the University of California system, is going to be mostly online. So for seniors now who are at this point pre-college freshmen, they have to go to school or not go to school with complete uncertainty as to how they're going to attend the fall semester. This is a real problem too for kids, our upcoming senior class, because these new college freshmen, they could be choosing to defer a year and who knows if that's going to affect the population or the amount of students in our year that are going to be accepted into these colleges now. Yeah, and a lot of um, college seniors, or college freshmen, I should say, high school seniors, um, college now might not even be a possibility because of their personal financial situation. I know a lot of schools have cut back on financial aid because they simply cannot afford it. Or why should a college senior or college freshman or will be college freshman go to school if it's going to be all online and pay full tuition because a lot of schools are not changing their tuition and I'm just going to be taking online classes or I could go online at any moment. So college freshmen are now going to community college because it is simply free and if it's not free it's definitely cheaper and if you have no certainty of your fall semester I'm just going to say I'm just going to go to community college is what a lot of freshmen are saying. Not to mention another problem these upcoming college freshmen are going to be facing is um, if they have a weakened immune system and they're allowed back on campus, is that going to deter them from going on campus? Or if colleges reopen up for actual live learning, if kids are commuting, are they going to want to make the trip there and back knowing that they could bring something home to their family? And kids who like maybe live in Jersey or their family lives in New Jersey, but they're going to college in like Texas. What, what happens if like your school goes on lockdown or something because someone has a positive COVID case? What happens if you can't get back because they cancel all flights or something like that? And I feel like that's going to drastically decrease the number of students who show up to on-campus like learning. And I feel like if, if any of us, if I was, let's say, going to college in like Texas or Massachusetts, I wouldn't want to go back up there because what happens if I'm suddenly cut off from my family? Yeah, these are definitely real concerns of freshmen, college students who are going back. So in addition to all the concerns, one thing that ties in every single thing we've talked about, which is high school going back to school in the fall, college going back to school in the fall, sports, which is in a week from now, is what if someone tests positive? What if someone tests positive and now we definitely have to quarantine and then people have to get tested. We have to contact trace, which is the school's responsibility, I believe, to do all those things to contact trace, make sure kids get tested. And say I get sick, and I'm in English class, I have to, I had been in contact with everyone in my English class, right? So then my English teacher will have to um, quarantine. And then my English teacher quarantines, that means all of her English classes are gonna go online or they won't be, there won't be an English class. But then what about all the other kids who are in other classes? Will they have to quarantine? Would it be people who are literally touching me, people who are around me? What is the definition of 
you have to quarantine, get tested, whatnot, because you were in contact. What defines contact? What will happen if someone does test positive in a school, a college, a sport, and so on? This brings us back around to the point where I think the school's best choice when it comes to um, safety protocol would be going back to virtual uh, schooling because with virtual schooling, you don't risk having someone test positive in school and having to quarantine. And I know a lot of people don't want to go to virtual, but that's literally the safest route for the school to take. What do you do if a kid gets COVID and you have to shut down your whole school? Or if you decide to only do contact tracing and test other kids, how many kids or their kids' parents are going to, you know, reject that? I feel like there is undeniable, there will undeniably be people who say, no, I'm not getting tested. You can't make me get tested. I refuse to get tested. And I feel like that will create a whole other host of problems too. And I feel like we're just so unprepared for what's coming up next. Well, then that brings us to the end of our little commentary on how, how much our lives have changed and how much they will change in the next year from now, to be honest, because who knows when this will be over. I think everyone here who's in this podcast and listening just wishes that coronavirus and COVID-19 would just evaporate out of space and everything will just be done and we don't have to worry about this anymore but sadly we do people have to make decisions people have to follow them or people won't follow them and we have to deal with that too um it's going to be a difficult few months but hopefully we can all overcome this together as a district and as a community um we'll see you guys in two weeks from now which is our uploading schedule we'll be uploading Every other Friday or every two Fridays, I believe, Sarah's podcast is next. She'll be talking about creative writing. And then G's podcast will be after that. And she'll be talking about her book recommendations and her thoughts on her previous few reads. Um, We hope you enjoyed this podcast. And we hope this first podcast ended well. And, you know, it is our first, so give us some slack because we've never done this before. And we are also doing this over Zoom. We are Zooming a podcast. We are not in an actual studio, which we have set up, thanks to Dr. Muller and everyone who funded that. Woo! Um, Hopefully we can get this thing rolling and this will be uploaded and everything will work out fine. Hopefully our school will come back and work out fine. We're just hoping for the best. See you guys. Have a nice weekend or months. Who knows? Thank you. Thank you so much for listening.